So hey everybody, welcome to episode 225 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Alrighty. Alright, so um, last week we had, we only had one fact fact chat thing that I could think of, and we were talking about Mike Myers in context of what, um, Bohemian Rhapsody maybe? Uh, oh no, the, the, the Jaime was talking about him saying he was from, I'm from Dublin, but I'm not really from Dublin. Yeah, in a, in a Saturday Night Live bit where it turns out it was making fun of uh, MTV's The Real World. Yeah, that was a very painful, painful little vignette to watch, by the way. Um, I'd forgotten how bad Saturday Night Live was for a while there. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, it turns out he's... I was watching an interview with him uh, last week when I was recapping some things on um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. As a matter of fact, I was watching some things about the uh, cast of characters. But he uh, apparently is was born in Liverpool, even though he, was, he, was, he grew up in uh, Toronto, Ontario, actually in Scarborough, uh, which is a, a suburb of Toronto. So, yeah, so... So that's a surprising fact about Mike Myers. So. There you go. Speaking yeah. of Liverpool, Paul McCartney's on tour again. Uh, yeah, yeah, is he? Well, he's hmm. got to be. He just announced it. Oh, really? Okay. Coming to San Jose yeah. in July. So it's a while, it's yeah, a while off. Yeah, he's a bucket list guy for sure. Yep. But like, but like, I mean, talk about breaking the bank to go buy a ticket for that show, eh? Yeah, it could be expensive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Egypt Station is pretty good on uh, his new album, on or new-ish yeah. album on Apple Music. Uh, yeah. If yeah. Gregory Archibald Heo is listening to this episode, I know that he's been talking on Twitter about joining the ranks of Apple Music subscribers. So this one's for you, really? Oh, there you go. Hmm. Yes, yes. No comment on that one. Um, do we have any Ask MTJC? I didn't check, Jaime. I didn't see any when I looked. Oh, um, again, from Mike, Mike Hendley. Um, this Ask MT, this shortcut will bypass some paywalls. It's got this little uh, link to routinehub.com.co, I guess. Uh, let's see what it says. Oh, it's a shortcut, I guess, for, for, uh, for Apple shortcuts. Well, that's nice. That's cool. Let's try that one out. So I guess we'll make that a pick as well, right? <laughs> no comment, Jaime? No. I, thought, <laughs> I didn't have anything insightful to add to that one. Right, right. Well, thanks again for that, Mike. Um, and you're welcome in advance of thanking us again for putting you on the show. Uh, so, yeah. So in our follow-up items, I've got one here. Um, well, it's uh, looking at the, the stats on Mixpanel and uh, looking at the... I found a new, a new stat. I think we talked about underscore David Smith, uh, his website. He also has iOS version versioning information. Um, but uh, what was interesting to me was the the adoption of the iPhone XS and the iPhone XR uh, adoption are lower than models were last year, and uh, so it's interesting. They've got some some mixed panel charts here, but uh, it's much more illuminating on the DavidSmith.org link that I have here. Um, I was looking particularly at adoptions for the various uh, iOS versions, but if you scroll down, uh, they have device breakdowns and the iPhone breakdown, and this is based this is as of like you know a couple of days ago. Uh, the iPhone 6S is, is probably the most popular phone at 15% and iPhone 7 right behind that. But if you look at the iPhone uh, 10R, it's around 1% of the all iPhones out there, I guess, and that are collecting these, are collected in these stats. And then the iPhone 10 and uh, 10S are, are quite a bit lower. Did you guys have a look at those? It's called device breakdowns with a subtitle also called device breakdowns. Yeah. If you search for that phrase, iPhone breakdown parenthesis, sort it by adoption. There's a pie chart that I see the iPhone 10R at 1% on there. Ah, so what's the one above? What's the device breakdown? Oh, that includes 
includes iPads. That includes everything, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's all sorts of breakdowns. When, when Tim had shared this as being a iOS adoption one, I said, oh, uh, iPhones move pretty, a pretty good clip, but the iPads seem to be hanging around, sticking it in like iOS 8 and 9 in some cases. Oh, they don't upgrade? They don't upgrade quite as quick, rapidly? I would guess you don't. We, we know that a lot of the upgrade, he says in scare quotes, upgrades that happen is because somebody got a new phone for Christmas. So whatever version of iOS you had before, now you have the newest oh, right. one. right, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it seems like that applies to iPads as well as the fact that the iPad for its sort of use case and form factor seems to last long enough that if, let's say, your particular iPad was stuck on iOS 9, not saying there are any because don't fact me checking me on that because I don't know, but let's say it's stuck on 9, like, well, yeah, yeah it's still good for watching Netflix. You just leave it there and you never really update it until you eventually break the thing or something and get a new one. Yeah, I would think that people would keep iPads longer. I mean, I tend to. Um, I mean, back when I was hot and heavy in terms of developing for them um, and it was like a one-man shop kind of thing, um, I would have a new iPad every year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my current iPad Pro, I have the original version of iPad Pro 12-inch and so that's like three years old now, I think, right? But interesting, Look, if you look at the uh, the adoption numbers, so, you know, the iPhone, so iOS 12 is at 76% on the iPhone, but it's only 57% on iPad, right? Um, and there's quite a few, like, you know, it's uh, the numbers are quite a bit lower down in terms of, like you said, uh, 17% are still on, on uh, iOS 9 on iPad, you know, whereas only 1.3% are on iOS 9 on, on iPhones, right? So it seems like the iPhone users tend to upgrade uh, more often than the iPad users, right? Yeah, and, and uh, I don't know what to call this, unburying the lead, because we led off with uh, iPhone XS and XR adoption. It does sort of seem from looking at these stats and seeing the scary news, as we talked about in previous weeks, and also even just seeing Apple's mm, marketing strategy where they are saying, hey, trade in, what is it, iPhone 8 plus or 8 I forget what it is you're supposed to trade mm-hmm. in and you get a pretty sizable discount um, for the trade in value of that device to get a iPhone 10R right is that so yeah we, I think I talked about that on, on our slack or whatever um, that I saw an ad for 499 for an iPhone on in the states um, but I can never sort of figure out how they calculated that because when I went in it was like it just showed the retail price of the phone yeah so that. what's the base price is it like 649 for the 10R I think so yeah yeah Let, let's pretend it's 649 because if it's 749, we just add 100. Um, so you're getting like 200 ish dollars trade in value for that iPhone. Gosh, I really don't yeah. remember if it was 7 plus yeah. or 8 plus. Um, well, I've seen I've seen people do the calculation on the trade in value for their, their devices and they're getting at 200 to 300 dollars uh, as trade in, right? From Apple. I think Apple's numbers are a little lower than, say, the Orchard service that I used from when I sold my iPhone 6 plus, right? That I got almost 300, $350 for when I traded what in. What's interesting is if you look at the iPhone 10, 10 usage, it's 3.2% of iPhones, but the 10s at, well, the 10s is 2.9% and the 10s max is 0.7%. So the sum of 10s and 10s max is 3.6%, which is higher than the 10. Right. So that means that adoption of the 10s and the 10, 10s max is larger than the 10, even though the 10's got over a year advance on it. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, however, the 10R is at 1.1% compared compared to the 8 and the 8 plus combined, which is 11.9%. Mm, that's quite a big So, yeah. yeah, so that's showing the 10R really is kind of a dud compared to the 8s, whereas the 10S family is actually doing a little bit better than the 10 family. Right, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious as to when, I'm just, I was trying to find out where he gets these stats from. It doesn't, uh, mm-hmm. does he say? I thought it was from his apps. Oh, his app, audiobooks. Okay, right. Yeah, 
Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so that's, it's caveat that's, a little, that's a little unfair. It's because it's it's a selective audience, you know, that saying that the people this is just amongst the type of people who want to use his books or his app rather. It doesn't it, right, numbers right. may be very different for other types of apps or and or the overall picture. Yeah. It's kind of hard to say. See, like I would tend to use the Amazon or the Audible app myself. I wouldn't necessarily use his app, right? Well, that's what's good about Mixpanel is it's a whole cross section of apps. Yeah, yeah. Because they're one of those statistic places, right? Like that uh, provides services to multiple people, like Flurry used to do. Yeah, right, right. That's that's what Mixpanel is. Yeah. So, okay. So, looking at the Mixpanel charts, also linked in the notes, uh, as of December, let's say December first, we'll have to check how valid this is because it's uh, the release dates are not necessarily the same. But but as of December first, let's say, or a little the next dot after December first, which is like December or approximately today, you know, plus or minus a couple days, we got the iPhone ten at it's looking like four and a half percent of total usage, I guess. Uh, and the uh, eight plus is at around three percent, and the eight is around let's say two and a half percent. So let's say let's say four and a half percent for ten, and five and a half percent for combined eight and eight plus. And now let's look at the other chart, which is the ten hour. Other chart from last year, though, isn't it? You're looking at the two charts. I, I was just looking there? at last year's chart. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's where we got the the ten was at around four and a half percent, and the eight and the eight plus combined were around three and a half percent at roughly. You know, first week of December after. The oh, okay. Right. Looking at the wrong color. Yeah, because it only it's it's only a valid comparison if we compare at roughly the same time after release, right? You can't okay, you can't yeah. judge them against a whole another year of adoption. Right, I follow you. Okay. So if looking at the iPhone eight and iPhone ten adoption, that's where I get the roughly four and a half percent for the ten and combined five and a half percent for the eight and the eight plus. And now let's look at you know, roughly the same amount of time after the ten R, ten S, and ten S Max adoption. We get ten S Max is at around maybe two 2.8%, maybe 3%. And uh, 10S is at around close to 2.5%. So that's around 5.5%. Uh, so that's, okay, so that, yes, that's actually higher than, so those combined is actually higher than the 10, which right, is consistent right. with the other number. And now we get the 10R is at around maybe 1.5%, which is a lot lower than that 5.5% that we got from the 8 and the 8 plus from last year. So yeah, that that's, that's all consistent. So the the uh, the S series is outperforming the ten the plain ten series from last year at the same right. roughly the same point in time, but the ten R is definitely under way underperforming the eight series from last year, which right. is which is not surprising given that the ten R is a lot more expensive than the eight. Right, right, and it's and it's probably shadowed by. I mean, like if you're looking at a ten R, is right. it a giant leap to go to a ten S or ten S Max, like in terms of dollars, like? $100 or $200 more kind of thing? I or? think it's a couple hundred bucks difference, right? Yeah. Like if you're already that invested in, especially if you're going through like a carrier where they're going to subsidize part of the purchase or you're going, like in your case, Mark, you're going through the Apple program, right? Well, there's no more um, subsidies in the US. No, but, but with your, with oh, phones are, are bought out right now or? Well, it's all full price. Even even if you do it on the installment plan, it's still, yeah, it's okay. still a paying full price. But I mean, like an, on the installment plan, buying a, a 10S Max versus a 10R, is there that much difference in the monthly payment probably like, not that talking, much yeah like five ten bucks maybe or probably not yeah that's probably about right yeah you know what i mean like it, it's 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 something you could it's something you could swallow in terms of like the, the difference right like why wouldn't i just get the next phone up right like the like the popcorn theory about the medium versus the large right 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 yeah good argument i think we were talking about this last time that the 10r it, it you know kind of looks like it was a little bit of a blunder for apple it was it was mm-hmm. it was too expensive to be the low-end new phone right and 
and uh, it, you know, it's and since and, and and as you said, it's it's too close to the 10s to to really make it worth it for a lot of people. Sure, yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't I just get the better phone with the better screen? I mean, right. I could I could just hear the guy at the Apple Store or whoever's recommending you buy the device. The OLED screen is so much more superior than this liquid Retina, you know, thing. Whatever, right, right, right. So yeah, right. And for hmm. people who bought the eight last year, it's not worth upgrading. Right, right. And if you're a brand new user going in, and if if you're on an iPhone eight budget, you're probably going to stick with an iPhone eight. Right, right. Like if you're a regular regular Joe consumer, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, interesting to see. They, I mean, they, they've done that before. They did. I think the iPad three or the third iPad was was a bit of a bit of a dud as well. If I remember, you know. Yeah, yeah I don't that know was how the one where sales. they replaced it with the four, something like three months after it. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't know who sales did on that one, but having owned an iPad three, that first Retina screen on it was, uh, I think, a little bit too much for the processor to, or GPU perhaps to handle. It was oh, right, definitely right. not as fast, and that was a big deal for the four to give it uh, enough oomph to handle all those pixels. Right, right. And it's not like Apple hasn't made blunders in the past. Well, I mean, all pre out of the jobs era, they've had some pretty significant road apples, as I like to call them, right? So, yep. All right. Um, let's move on. So, Jaime, you got something here about a uh, Google bug? Google Plus bug? Yeah, this is a follow-up to the last time we talked about Google Plus, and specifically that there was a big data leak, or I should say a big data vulnerability, and uh, Google was like, yep, we're just going to shut down Google Plus, and in Instead of shutting it down in what I think it was like August of 2019, now they're going to shut it down in April. So they're moving up the schedule. Really? Wow. Like four months because they found another bug. As, as far as I know, they're pretty sure nobody actually used uh, this one. Unlike the other one where based on their server log history, where they only keep the most recent two weeks uh, and, and it had been like a long time, they didn't know for sure, yes or no, whether something had happened to the data. In this case, I feel a little bit more confident that nothing was leaked out because they can check their logs considering that this bug was only open for six days. Um, mm. So kind of a sad, sad, sad but story. But potentially, really. potentially 52 million users' data was exposed, potentially. Uh, potentially. And, and who knows about that? It's um, definitely going to be the end of an era for, for Google+. And I think in a post-Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook, I think big people are looking a lot more closely at using data. And I think our sort of thing that we give people as advice of like, hey, don't use you know Google login, Facebook login, Twitter login, all these other logins for this reason. Just go use a password manager like one password or if you don't want to go multi uh, multi-platform or pay for a service or anything i think just using the uh, iCloud keychain stuff that apple gives you that integrates really nicely in ios 12 it, it's perfectly fine yeah and i've never really been a big fan of of the whole google model where you know you get to get all this free service just by you know giving them permission to rifle through your things um i was a little shocked when i first got google photo that it just started uploading my photos without even checking what like i'm, I'm not just taking pictures of of puppies and babies and you know, funny things. I've also using my my camera for work things, right? And I wasn't really pleased about them, you know, taking deposit slips and putting them up on my Google Plus profile, right? So uh, I can just imagine what kind of stuff people have up on their Google Plus profiles, right? So not a fan. All right. Um, Jaime, you got something about uh, Infinity Blade? Yeah. Speaking of an end of an era, um, Epic, the company has removed the Infinity Blade games, all of them from the App Store. I think they just probably weren't really making, you know, that much money from them anymore given their age and you know there's a non-zero cost continue to keep these things up to date with newer versions of ios newer devices that include notches or have triangular screens or whatever it is that comes down the road and i was a little nostalgic for these because this was one of those game series that made you 
I don't know, like your eyes pop and say, holy smokes, like, I can't believe a yeah. tablet can do that. I can't believe a phone can do that. You know, we've got um, like Xbox or Xbox 360 sort of style of graphics on this device that I can carry in my pocket. Yeah, they gave away one of these apps at uh, Christmas, I think, a couple of years ago as part of their 12 days of Christmas, right? But um, but it's just interesting here that they talk about the fact that it says in the article that they, they couldn't afford to support it anymore. I think, uh, like you said, I suppose it's probably like, you know, customer support and keeping up with the keeping up with the devices and stuff like that and the iOSs and so on and so forth. But these are all the same people that produce uh, that big one. What's it called? Um, yeah, when, when we say afford, they, they, they create um, Fortnite, which is Fortnite, a yeah. mega hit. And if I was a business, I would put all my resources, all hands on deck onto Fortnite um, and, and keep riding that, that money train. Here, right. in terms of afford, it's not in the like, oh, they're they're scraping by and we're going to have to go start a GoFundMe for them. Uh, no, no, this is more like it, it's not worth it given the return on investment. Right. Oh, I see. Right. Okay, cool. All right. And this is another follow-up from last week. We talked about the uh, the Qualcomm versus Apple. Uh, I mentioned last week that the date trial date had been set, but it turns out that uh, there's some interesting, uh, more interesting things going on in that uh, China is banning, or I think Qualcomm convinced China to ban some iPhone sales, and so Apple is appealing that decision. Um, and there's some more detail here. There's a couple of links here. I've got one from, from CNBC about the general um, appeal, but I think it's taken apart a little bit better on six colors uh, website um, Jason Snell's site uh, where he talks he's taken the, the the points that are being made and, and broken them down and, and commented on them a little bit but um, there's you know an issue I think it's the modem chips that are used in in, Qual- in Apple phones older phones so this only applies to iPhone 6s uh, and plus and 7 7 plus 8 plus and iPhone 10 only just those devices not the newer ones I think I, Apple moved to a different supplier for those um, and a weird things like they're they're claiming to have the patent for resizing or adjusting and reformatting the size of an appearance of photographs in, in apps. And uh, further down, they complain, they c- claim that Apple has stolen some of their technology and given it over to um, uh, Intel, which sounds very sort of strange uh, kind of um, complaint to make, um, knowing Apple as well as we, I think we do. <laughs> I think we think we think I think we do. I mean, I'm not saying that right, but um, you know what I mean? Like we have faith in Apple that, that they wouldn't do this kind of thing and they don't really need to but why would they steal something and give it to a competitor this sounds kind of petty uh, but the interesting last one is that they're claiming that uh, Qualcomm is claiming somehow that T- Tim Cook is going to run for president um, probably to make him a target for Donald Trump to bash against right so um, interesting stuff I don't know if you guys have read any of these articles or kept up with the story between Apple and Qualcomm yeah yeah there, there may there may actually be a, a pretty large political element to this beyond the, the thing you just mentioned uh, in that you know, Apple has has, well, at least was uh, until recently was the largest uh, market cap company in the United States with over a, right. a trillion yeah. dollars uh, and uh, as such they are a big part of the American economy and the American stock market uh, and of course you know as as Apple's stock dropped pretty tremendously in the past couple of months it brought yeah. a lot of the stock market down with it so so this could be now I mean certainly there's there's this battle between Qualcomm and Apple, but China acting on it could easily be part of the trade war that we're in right now. Oh, that's by, true. Yeah, by, yeah. by doing this, they inflict damage on Apple, which by extension inflicts damage upon the American economy. And right, it seems right. to have worked so far pretty well. So, yeah. so it may actually have, in China's mind, it may actually have very little to do with the actual facts of the case. It may just be a convenient excuse to uh, strike back at uh, the current the American 
administration uh, by damaging the economy a little bit. Right. And I don't know if you guys have heard, but you probably have heard about the um, Huawei. Is it Huawei? The C, uh, Huawei. CTO yeah. Huawei, the lady that's being held in Canada yeah, right now? Yeah. She just got released on bail today, but apparently that's uh, because of Canada's relationship with the United States. The United States asked us to hold her yeah. uh, and possibly ex- extradite her and, and um, or some, I forget what, it, what the, the reason was, but uh, um, that's another political angle, right? Um, it's getting getting uh, the U.S. and China and, and now Canada involved in that kind of thing, too. Yeah. Because it affects us, too. I mean, we, we're sure. obviously, our, our stock market's reliant on the, the, the NASDAQ and the Dow also performing well as well, right? Right, right. I mean, the whole world economy depends on the U.S. economy, whether people like it or not. I mean, that's, that's just reality. And uh, just the threat to do damage to the American economy has to make people sit up and take notice. True. I didn't think about that angle. Well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And to real time fact check, I believe it is the chief financial officer. I think it was CFO. Right. And I believe it was, um, I'm probably going to use the wrong term here, but let's say like embargo violations where allegedly they oh, right. set yeah, up yeah. a like a shell company to get around um, being able to sell stuff to, or not being able to sell stuff to Iran, given right. yeah. the U.S. administration beefs with them so it's it's a very tangled yeah. international sort of intrigue going on here not only was she, she the cfo of huawei she's also the daughter of the chairman or the founder yeah. yeah yeah and apologies to people who don't like to hear us talk about politics but this is where i think politics has finally you know crept into the show because it's having a major impact on all of us right yeah yeah interesting speaking of having a major impact uh, apparently samsung has killed the headphone jack on their latest phone do you guys see that i'd seen the headline um i didn't know which phone was being talked about the galaxy a8s mm. or galaxy a8 um yeah they, they're, they're now going to a usb c a usb yeah usb format c um jack and uh and you'll have to have a dongle to uh use regular headphones with it and uh after all the after the and there's a, there's a in the article i've got linked here there's a, a commercial that where um samsung was making fun of the fact that apple had dropped the headphone jack on the iphone 10 and uh, other devices right Right. Um, was it iPhone 10 the first one uh-huh. that dropped the jack? No, no, it wasn't. It was the um, the seven, 7 and the 7 Plus. Oh, okay. right, right. Oh, they did? Really? Yeah, yeah. I had the, uh, the dongle for that. True, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I think, yeah, I think, I think the news story was that in the latest versions of um, the devices, they're not coming with the dongles anymore. They used to, I think they, they had them in the package, right? I think last year when you got an 8 or 10, maybe you got the headphones with the, with the lightning jack and you also got the dongle. But now you have to buy the dongle separately. But because again, it's like how many people really need them, kind of thing, especially with AirPods out there. Yeah. Um, now, are these uh, Samsung devices that don't have the headphone jack? Do they also have a notch? They, they actually don't. Uh, <laughs> this is a this is a an audio medium and not a visual one. But technically, they do not have a notch. Hmm. What they have is, um, and we'll have this link so you can see uh, for those of you driving at home. Uh, that'll be in the show notes. It, they have what is called the Infinity O display, or as I've seen people on the interwebs talk about it's the hole punch display where the camera is in the upper left hand corner and it looks like a hole punch that you would mm. use on uh, on paper to put it into your binder it has a bit of chin too if you look at the bottom too right yeah it definitely has a little bit of chin uh, a lot less than i see a lot of android devices nowadays have but it's it's a lot closer to being a tr- truly edge-to-edge seamless display it does seem to have some a little bit of space at the top which might be for like some sensors right um across the top there yeah it looks like there's a little like black infrared bar or something right on the right on the silverish bezel if i see what you're you're seeing yeah but the story is the headphone jack <laughs> like a lack thereof yeah i don't it's so weird the way we are in tech i don't really
really get how uh, Apple was apparently too early, too early to to the show of uh, removing the 3.5 millimeter audio jack. But apparently, as we talked about last week, way too late to the 5G era, which is dawning upon us. So we're a very odd bunch, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we, like we, we well said, lead from behind, right? Uh, with, with the exception of the notch and, and uh, Face ID and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, with, mm-hmm. fi- with 5G, it's sort of a smart move because the, the number of phones that will actually be able to use a 5G network in the next year is still going to be pretty small. Even if you buy one, the chances of there being a network available for you to use is pretty small. So having it as a bit of a marketing gimmick in some sense. Uh, and Apple you know, can just sit back and wait until the networks have been built out. So as soon as people start using them, they'll really notice it. Yeah, but last week I was talking about, I couldn't remember the, what the advantages for 5G was, but 5G will also be able to come into other devices other than phones, like in your home, your internet of things kind of things will be able to take advantage of 5G networks as well, right? So, Well, if the networks exist. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what I mean, like, but, but beyond just, you know, what, what technology your phone works on, it'll be other devices and like maybe your alarm system or whatever, or whatever, you know, home kit devices, who knows what, what it'll be. But, but that's one of the advantages of the, the promises of, of 5G is it'll, it'll get more into the tech we all use, right? Throughout, the, throughout our lives. Anyway, cool. All right. So, Jaime, you have some stuff here uh, in the main area about Swift tricks. Yeah, this one's a blog post called A Few Swift Tricks That You Might Not Know by Mike Pesate or Pesate. I'm not sure how the name is pronounced. Um, some of these I really didn't know you could do in Swift and, and some I think I wanted to bring to the forefront sort of a, mm, patterns or techniques that I happen to use and enjoy. So one that I didn't know is, is right here, number one, on avoiding type repetition where instead of doing, and, and I'll read from this example, uh, let you know your variable name. So like let foo of type bar equal and then you do bar bar to instantiate that type. Um, I didn't know you could do let foo of type bar equal dot init. So calling the dot init function uh, without uh-huh. putting, without prefixing with the type. Um, I, I thought that was kind of weird. And I, I be honest, I'm not a hundred percent certain how I feel about it, but the, what he says here in the blog post is that the compiler can infer what that should be. And that'll let you, um, that'll let you avoid, let's say if you're, um, renaming some type and it's like, oh man, like this thing was called this. And now I have to go change the million different places that it's called something else. Um, hopefully the Xcode refactoring renaming tool will help you with that, but it, it won't in all circumstances. Yeah, it's interesting here, though, is that he's showing you how to how to create a, like a rectangle um, with by passing in initial, initial values as well, right? In the init, dot init. I've, I've seen a developer a colleague of mine do something similar to this when we first were switching over to Swift, and, and it looked odd to me, but was, I don't know if it was exactly using init or even, I think maybe the new word new um, to do something similar to this. But, yeah, well, yeah. you know, bar or, or you know, uh, class name, parentheses, parentheses, open, close parentheses, or even with, with parameters inside is really just a shortcut for class name dot init parentheses. Right, it's, right. It, it's just a shortcut for that. And since you're giving the type on the left-hand side of the equal sign in this particular case, then, right, yeah. then you can leave out the class type and just call the dot init. So it, it's 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 not really anything new or fancy. It's just, it's, it's, it is kind of, it's just a style. Realistic thing. It kind of depends what you like. Sure. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, if you like it, great. Yeah. I can just see the code review discussions about this one. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going to let that one sort of soak for a little bit, maybe over the holidays before I decide one way or the other. Because the one of the benefits I definitely see of it is like, yeah, it's kind of less repetitious. Let foo of type bar equal, hey, that bar constructor call it. I was like, well, 
I kind of knew what was happening, right? I mean, uh, spoilers, it's going to be <laughs> the class name's uh, initializer. Um, so it is less repetitious. The The big downside I could say, though, is that um, unless there's a huge groundswell of developers who start doing this, it would definitely look stylistically odd. I, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody write Swift code like that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's reminiscent of Alec and Init back in the Objective-C days, too, right? For me. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the thing you remember once you, once you learn how to do that. It's like that's how you initialize and allocate something every single time or the way around. Yeah. One thing he does throughout the article is is uh, leave out the class name and just call a method with dot and then the method name, yeah. uh, and which you can do because he's explicitly mm-hmm. saying what type the left-hand side is in the left. Uh, but to me, that just looks weird in general. Calling, you know, any kind of a class method with just dot blah just seems kind of odd looking to me. So I, I never do that. I would I would always do something like bar dot and then the thing instead of just dot. Even if it even right. if the compiler right. can infer it, to me it just still just looks better and is more clear to, to explicitly put the class name. Run to other but readers too, me. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just me. I get you know. What other tipsies you got in your army? Um, another one that I think I like to use is the namespaces. So this is number three on here where you can use enums as namespacing. As an example, he does a um, an enum of type request that has a enum within it called login and he's got an error one so you can do things like hey let this user of type request dot login dot user equal and then of course he uses that fancy uh, bare init structure but that's something um, I've used before something our team has used it looks kind of nice because it gives you almost um, like Java or C sharp style package mm-hmm. structure without having a lot of the drama and overhead of, of how those package structures tend to work and you can sort of do this with let's say um, like the way that Swift modules work but it's not as clear what's happening. Whereas here, it's very clear when I look at, you know, let's say line number 26, if this is a pull request, let's say, what kind of user is this? Oh, it's a request login user. Okay, got it. And maybe there's another kind of user that you might have from a different namespace. So I do kind of like using that. And it's pretty nice that Swift lets you do this with enums where you couldn't do the exact same thing in Objective-C. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. I haven't I haven't done this one myself, but it, it is kind of cool. Does this, does this this last line here, 27, does it the user have username and password as part of that? Can you pass through? Let's see. Let request. It's the case yeah, of the user the user, in this case, user is an associated value of the enum. Right, yeah. Or of the, yeah, with the, yeah, with the with case of the login enum in this mm-hmm. case. Yeah. So it does. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because so, it comes from the struct, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the intention here is you're supposed to, let's pretend you didn't have um, everything on the right hand side of the equal sign. It's sort of the way you could read, you know, create this user of this type and then go ahead and log in that user. Right. Right. So it's trying to be a little bit more like prose and less like a mathematical formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one that I think I'll, I'll bring up here is the molds one is something that I, I haven't done it exactly as he has here. Uh, so as he describes a mold as a container you use to make replicas of things uh, that are mass produced, like, you know, plastic molding, for example. Um, here he's using an extension on UI label and says, hey, look, there's a class of art called heading. And in my, let's say my design system, my UI label will for a heading type will always be uh, font size of 18 and the text color is black. You can imagine your design system might have something totally different for uh, body text and all those other bits. So then you can use it as like, hey, I'm going to create a heading label of type UI label and its instantiation is just dot heading. Um, he brings it up as being very kind of similar to the way that you can create color references instead of saying UI color dot black, you would just say this is dot black. And so I well, yeah. I kind of like that. I don't know how I feel about the extension on something like UI label for that, but when you read it at 
the very least, it feels like, oh yeah, that's that's pretty easy. So I can match up to our design system. All right, he's creating a heading label. Is he using the heading property or heading type? Yes, perfect. Um, if he's using a body label for this particular screen, is he using the right one? Dot body, great. And then if I really, really care about the details, and Xcode makes it really easy, just command click to get into the definition there. Yeah, it's reminiscent of a, of a cascading style sheet type of thing in HTML, right? Yeah, I think that's what I kind of like about it. That is um, cascading style sheets and, and the lack thereof is something that's kind of missed being in the iOS space and being out of the web world for so long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it saves on the repetition of having to explicitly say what the font and the text and the color and so on and so forth is as you go, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do. I like that aspect of it as well. I, I don't like the syntax when you when you create a new one at the bottom uh, because it doesn't look right to, to me to say, yeah, it, the, the syntax that, that shows let heading label colon UI label equal just dot heading. And that looks like you're assigning it to an enum or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's it, it doesn't look right. It doesn't look like you're creating a new one, a new instance of this thing to me. Yeah, I think it's a style that in my mind works better for UI decoration type things. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're talking about color and, and, and CSS style sheet type stuff. I don't yeah. think it would work quite as well for non-UI facing things. Um, the difference between creating and reusing a lot of times doesn't make a huge difference when it comes to the UI stuff. Uh, a lot of times we do just expect it to be reused, like for uh, table views or collection views. Um, I think I'd be a little surprised if I saw something getting created when I didn't expect it or getting reused when I didn't expect it in um, like the networking layer, for example. Yeah, but but let me give you an example of where this would be weird is, say you have four different labels, all of heading type. So you'd have four consecutive let statements saying, let heading label one, for example, equal dot heading. Let heading label two equal dot heading. Let heading label three equal dot heading, etc. Right. So it, so it looks like you're you're assigning them all to the same thing if you don't really know what's going on. As a, whereas if you when you have in a, in a normal uh, allocation or init of a of a structure of an instance, uh, you have the parentheses at the end and the you know well typically the the class name or or the dot init in his case that are telling you right away oh this is creating a new one. So it's very obvious that you're creating a new instance. Right. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It, there's some clues to the reader that come from having those parentheses right. um, on yeah. there. Yeah. Now the analogy is if say you have an enum uh, that has a case dot heading, let's just say for the sake of argument, uh, and you want to make four instances of the enum, well, it, it, it works the same way that it's that it's working here. You'd have four let statements in a row, both being assigned to the same what seems to be the same thing, and it is creating four different instances of it in that case. So I guess that's the counter argument to what I'm saying that you know, enums do it. Why not this thing? But I don't know. It would take some getting used to, I guess, for me. Yeah, it feels like some of those domain-specific languages or DSLs that people get really excited about and think they can be powerful, but they are a little difficult to get into. And if you're coming brand new onto a project and you weren't the one who had a part in creating that domain-specific language, uh-huh. I often find that sort of difficult to... Uh-huh. I don't know. It, it just seems like it adds to the learning curve. Yeah. I guess one one way you could get around this if you if you really wanted to was inside the class, the heading class, inside the extension and UI label, uh, instead of returning, instead of having heading be a, a var, which is what they're doing here, a static, oh, well, it, you know, class 
variable class uh, pr- uh, property, uh, you could have it return a function that did exactly the same thing. Not a return a function, but a, a call a function that does exactly the same thing. So in that case, then you'd have to put the parentheses there as well. And it would look a little bit more like instantiating a, a regular class. Yeah, I get um, it. I get it. Yeah. Instead yeah, of using that, that, a, a property, uh, you just use a function. Yeah. A function that would return that UI label in this case. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, presumably this is setting up so that you can use this like instance of UI label anywhere in your code, right? Like using it, like declaring it dot heading type. Well, so I, it is actually creating an instance of a, of a UI label that has these particular properties. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's a, it's a, it really is a factory method. It just doesn't look right. like a factory method so much. Right. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So food for thought, we'll have that link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Speaking of um, changing things, <laughs> what is the uh, triple, triple two straws have for us? I mean, yeah. Uh, Mr. Paul Hudson from hacking with Swift as a note here on a change in Swift five that will change how the optional try that's the try with the question mark at the tail end of it works with regard to optionals, uh, specifically nested optionals where he brings up an example where um, you have a struct and it has a failable initializer. So it's init with question mark and it also has a function that throws. So in the two lines of usage, in this case, um, he's instantiating a user because that was the type of the struct. Um, and that is an optional because as we mentioned before, the initializer is optional. And then he's calling a method on that user struct that, as we mentioned, throws. So when you use the try with the question mark, um, you have to, you do user question mark dot, in this case, get messages. And in current Swift, um, that will give you an optional optional. So you, <laughs> you would have a type of question mark, question mark uh, at the tail end. And that could be kind of annoying. As he mentions here, uh, you would get messages of being typed string question mark, question mark. Um, this already works a little bit differently than the way that optional chaining works in other parts of Swift. So it's really kind of nice that as you would expect, you would get a single optional type. So in this case for the messages bit, you would get a optional string, which is kind of what you would expect given that you are calling a method on a type that has a failable and therefore optional return value for its initializer. Cool. I hope that really made sense for people listening at home. (laughs) I tried to do my best to, it's very simple code that you can read uh, when you, you know, stop working out of the gym or uh, pull over your car (laughs) to go take a look or something. Uh, But it's really nice. I think I'll look forward, not as like an earth shattering event sort of thing, but I'll look forward to this particular breaking change in Swift. Because I should point that out, it actually is one. This will change behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm going to have to go and, and change it in a bunch of my code, but I'm but I'm happy to do it because it is definitely an improvement in my mind. I mean, I don't think there's. I mean, there may be someone who really liked or or needed that earlier behavior, the current behavior, but can't imagine many people really really want that. It, I don't. I don't really see any case where it would actually get you anything to have the current behavior when really mm-hmm. what you want is the new behavior. So I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, single wrapping for sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. And what's your next one? Now your next tip here, Jaime. This one is a blog post by, does it have a name? Uh, Vlast ADBD Velocity. App Blog, right? Sorry? ADBD App Blog. Yes. Uh, that, that's the company. Um, I was looking to see if they had a byline and they do. It's uh, Vlast Velocity, senior developer at ADBD. And this one is about recording AR kit sessions. And the way I understood this is it was to record the data that gets produced out of AR kit. So 
like the cloud of points and and stuff. He's going to wave his hand saying without having gotten much into AR kit. Right. So he shows an example here where based on the way that the architecture of AR kit works, you can do this sort of sampling of the session and record that so that you can replay what that session was doing. And the use case for this, per my understanding, is when it's not super convenient when you're trying to iterate on different things. So if it's inconvenient for you to be, you know, out in the forest uh, mapping stuff or, you know, you really just want to fix that one particular bug and you just want to replay the data and not like have to pick up your phone and hold it over the table time and time and again just to get to that whatever particular bug is you're trying to fix. I believe that's what the use case is here. And it doesn't yeah, look it looks like it looks like he's sort of like a mocking up a, a, a test and then be able to run it again, right? Yeah. And I didn't know you could do this if you're out there and you didn't know. Well, today you learned. And it looks pretty useful. It doesn't look terribly hard to do. Um, we should point out, though, that computers. this is not a public API. So if you include this in your app, when you submit to the App Store, you will Whoops. get rejected. Yes. But, yeah, th- thank you. Yeah. But it seems like a great diagnostic tool when you're building your app. Yeah. Definitely one of those ones that you don't want to ship with and get sadly rejected. Cool. Yeah. In the video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that all you want to say about it, Jaime? Yeah. I didn't have much to add to it. Um, seemed like a, a useful thing. It does make me think of how that would be kind of cool to be able to do, e- even if we had to do uh, the private API thing where, okay, put this in my debug builds, but strip it out before submitting to the App Store for protection releases. It'd be kind of nice to have something similar for um, other sensor type work that you might do that you would really, really want to use simulator, or at least I can't use a simulator. I can connect to a device that's just sitting there. Um, yeah. Thinking of like camera type stuff, location type stuff. I, I guess a little bit for location, but um, core motion, you know, motion chip sensor stuff. Definitely like to see yeah. more of that, that you could like record and then replay and stream the, the data back. Yeah. So for those of you driving at home, it, 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 it taps into the low level fr- frameworks like AV Foundation and Core Motion and gives you back color, Im- color image information, accelerometer readings, gyroscope readings, device orientation from the magnometer inside the device, and uh, face data if you're using the tr- true, depth, true Depth camera and depth also from the True Depth camera. So then you can, it records those um, readings and you can store them and play them back. Neato. All right. What, do you, what else? What other tip have you got for us, Arami? Yeah, this one's a blog post by Andrew Fitzpatrick of the Big Nerd Ranch. And it is with regard to the new iPad Pro, which has the USB-C port that can connect to external displays. And looking at this blog post and one of the statements right here, it looks like it's really easy to add external display to support to your iOS app. Um, as stated here, I'll read this this one paragraph. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's wildly simple. Make a window, add a root view controller to it, and set the window screen to the external screen. When the screen's disconnected, just hide and nail out the reference to the window so it can be deallocated. And he's got some uh, examples here and some notification center stuff that you have to listen to to observe the um, connect and disconnect stuff. But it doesn't look like a ton of code. So if you wanted to add another screen, another window to your, your app when you're on an iPad and connected to an external display, this looks pretty handy and easy to do. There there yeah. are some caveats he mentions here, like um, don't forget that that screen is not touch sensitive. So <laughs> don't oh, right. put UI <laughs> controls in that one. <laughs> Um, also, uh, be aware of the fact that depending on whether this is doing, uh, like airplane mirroring, uh, or other bits, the device is the one that's rendering that. So, uh, performance considerations come into mind when you're, you're messing with us. Cool. All right. Yeah. Just on the sidebar here, I, I backed, uh, when, when the, uh, USB-C, um, Max first came out, I backed, uh, um, forgot the name of it now, Hyper, Hyperdrive, I think it's called, um, adapter for the side of my, uh, USB-C Max that has like HDMI port and USB ports. And I think it even has like a, a, a what do you call those SD card reader on the side of it um, but they just same company just came out with a uh, same type of 
of uh, hub for attaching to an iPad Pro um, with a single USB port on it. And so you could have like an HDMI out and, uh, you know, USB pass-throughs and, and even uh, read SD readers for people using digital cameras, high-end digital cameras. So um, it's kind of a cool little port. That's on the, on the Kickstarter right now. I think if you hurry, you can probably get, you know, one for $50 US. Um, yeah, that's cool. I just got my hands on a on a, a iPad Pro 11 uh, at the office there. We just we picked one up for testing. And um, yeah, it's pretty pretty neat little device. It's, it's more like a slate, like uh, it's, you know, very squarish, you know, not doesn't have the rounded back like the old uh, iPads used to have. So, and no, no rounded corners. It's all like square cut. It's more like an iPhone 5 style or iPhone 4 style. Um, you know how they had the machined edges, right? Um, looks pretty cool. So I haven't really played played around with it much, but you no, know, looks nice. Have you guys looked at the new devices at all? I haven't. I haven't actually had a chance to go visit a store and go check out right. uh, new iPad, new pencil, new what watch? I think I was looking for. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. Uh, pretty, pretty cool looking iPad for sure. All right. So we're at the pick uh, section of our show now. Um, what do you got there for us? Hey, let me jump in there with your pick. Yeah, this one is not a new article. It is given by the URL slug. It looks like this is from 2007, so it is a little bit more than 11 years old now. Um, but I thought it was something interesting because it somehow made its way to me on, I, I want to say Twitter, or maybe somebody emailed it to me or something. It is a blog post by, uh, or on peterme.com called Thoughts On and Picks of the Original Macintosh User Manual, which I have not right. seen. And I thought it was interesting to see this spiral bound, uh, what looks to be very beautiful photo of this manual and just looking at the pictures of um right here and the, the first one he has in the blog post is what appears to be a young christian bale using a mac um uh, also uh this executive or or office worker who is very happy to be lugging around his mac his mac original macintosh in a mm-hmm. um i'm gonna call it a very large briefcase or a pretty big bag and seeing some of the interior shots that you can sort of see apple's sort of design aesthetic or the introduction where they have the uh, the glossy surface reflective surface um also kind of interesting to see how they were introducing computer i don't know the, the ways that computers worked to people who didn't know anything about computers because they're brand spanking new for personal usage at this point in uh, time era like how clicking and dragging works with the mouse and uh where does your information go uh, the strangest one he says here is the the metaphor that the finder is like a central hallway in the macintosh house don't know that i've ever heard anybody use that analogy uh, probably won't ever again but it's fun it's a nice little blast from the past cool yeah i have an apple 2c manual somewhere and by the way i do own one of those ba- those gray bags that he's got his um his 128k mac in and actually my grandson took my 128k out of storage and put it in the bag for me thanks a lot but uh, yeah so i have one i have uh, this and i've never seen this manual before now you've made me want to go and hunt the internet for one yeah i'm sure <laughs> it's probably on ebay or something but th- that particular bag you know what it looks like it looks like the pizza delivery guy yeah it comes it's, it's a quilted bag. bag just like that it's got the neoprene uh, foam you know it's canvas on the inside out i've got two of them i have a taller one with i guess for newer machines but yeah i have i have this same gray one someday it'll be worth something yeah cool i guess that's how you that was how you made a mac portable back in the day right yeah nowadays people are trying to decide you know should i get an air should i get a 13 inch macbook pro and this guy was lugging around something that weighs what, what is it like 10 pounds probably maybe 20 for the yeah macintosh they're not they're not light mm. and it's a like crt tube right so it's it's a uh, you know, glass tube right so there's a picture of the guy walking down the street with a folio in one hand and he's got his mac on his hip on the other right so yeah back in the early days cool yeah i think he's posted these on Flickr as well nice 
My pick's a quick one. I just saw this today from Oleg Beggerman. Uh, he's posted that uh, Apple has put a uh, an image of Swift in Docker format up on their GitHub. Uh, if you're not familiar with Docker, Docker is a um, I guess it's like a the analogy is like a like a, a ship at sea where you have um, components that you have in the big you know storage storage bins that they put on um, on uh, ships that go across the sea and they t- take them off and put them on individual trucks and sh- ship them around. But um, Docker is if you if you run Docker on a Mac or, or you basically can set up a PHP instance, uh, you can set up a you know web HTML web server instance, you can set up a MySQL instance, you can set up multiple Docker's of uh, of like environments for for building and testing or whatever. So Swift Docker and basically is, this is for server side Swift to so basically take the Swift language language and install it into a doc into a Docker Docker whatever they call those things. Um, and uh, yeah, and where you go, just uh, use you, very quickly get Swift set up on a, on a server instance so you can then play around with it. This is for, written for Ubuntu 16.04, but yeah, if you have a, if you have a um, Ubuntu server, you can install Swift and just using Docker, which is pretty much plug-in. That's sort of, sort of like homebrew, but like even even more contained than that, you know? Um, have you guys looked at Docker at all? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like a sandbox in, in iOS where you have each app yeah. lives its own in, in environment and it's self-contained and it can't interact with the world around it. Right. Uh, or right. Be interfered with by the world around it. Right. That's kind of what a Docker instance is. It's and and so people can ship an entire environment inside one of these Docker's docs, mm-hmm, or whatever mm-hmm. they call it, and container install it. Container. Container. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You just word, install yeah. it as a unit, and you're ready to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if this makes some tool chain stuff easier to do. I mean, granted, um, it seems to be been brought up in a server case, a use case, but there are definitely devs out there who are using Ubuntu as their, their primary development environment. And yeah. I do kind of wonder if, um, I kind of wonder if somebody will have some crazy, and it could be you, listener, in the future. Uh, here's a free, here's a free conference presentation idea. So Docker containers often tend to be used with the Kubernetes container orchestration system. And Swift, Docker, and Kubernetes are enough buzzwords that you will surely be picked <laughs> <laughs> when they, when you submit that the paper Kubernetes. to the CFP. If, I guarantee if, you if, will get picked. Use that to do uh, something that has to do with artificial intelligence and machine learning, you're guaranteed to get funded by a VC. Without <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, there you go, folks. There's your tip for the week. Run away and get some VC funding. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think this is how IBM... Remember when Swift just first came out, we were talking about, oh, wow, look, cool. Look how cool it is that IBM lets you run Swift um, in a browser. I believe yeah, that, that they were using Docker containers. They had. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they were using Docker containers to say, all right, somebody went to IBM.com slash Swift REPL or whatever the URL is. It's in the show notes for many years ago um i think you know they were just firing up a container and it's like great server run this instance of swift on there so i wonder if they they sort of productionized what this was i, I don't know what the source is here i'd have to take a look at this particular project yeah i just looked it up it's the ibm swift sandbox that we talked about back in the day mm-hmm. yeah cool yeah so it's kind of cool to see this coming to uh, to docker you know I, I think it was only a matter of time but you know again hosted by apple so getting it from the source as well cool all right well i guess that's it for another week so until the big christmas extravaganza um, or holiday extravaganza. I guess we should include Kwanzaa and Hanukkah in there as well. Um, 
so hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where would they, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. Right, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com. Right, and my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. And until next week, uh, well, I won't be here next week, but uh, Greg will be here hosting the show, and we'll talk to you guys later on in, in the future, in the new year or something. Between Christmas and New Year's, I think, right? For me. These guys, Mark and Jaime, will be back next week. All right, bye. Okay, bye. Bye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at MTJC underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. Florida, Mark? Last weekend? Oh, you went last weekend? Oh, okay. Yeah. How was it? Well, except for about 15 seconds, it was great. What was the 15 seconds? Oh, you haven't heard about this? Hi, man. I'm sure you've no. heard about this. 15 seconds? No, I don't, don't think I have. So, I went to the, I went to Florida to go to the uh, Patriots-Miami game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now Is that how long you know? it took? 15 <laughs> seconds? <laughs> The last play, yeah. So the Patriots had the game won. I mean, mm-hmm. really, they had the game won. There are 15 seconds left. Yeah. They just kicked a field goal. They're up by five points. Yeah. They kick off. The Miami gets the ball on their own 31-yard line yeah. with six seconds left. So time for yeah. one play. Yeah. Miami does one of these lateral back-and-forth crazy, silly things. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Touchdown. Nice. And win the gate wins the game. By two points or whatever? Yeah, one point. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, all they had to do was tackle the guy. Make one tackle. They had 60 yards. Mm-hmm. They had 70 yards to do it. Mm-hmm. They couldn't tackle the guy. So they ended up losing the game. Just crazy. Crazy fluke wow. thing. That's like a Toronto Maple Leaf thing. They would snatch de- 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 defeat from the jaws of victory, right? Yeah, yeah they definitely did this time, for sure. <laughs> <sighs> Painful. Yeah, that was... I, I didn't even connect with the fact that you were there and going to that yeah. game. Um, hmm. Yeah, it, yep. you know, uh, Rob Gronkowski, the yeah. surely first ballot Hall of Fame tight end. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he's an athletic beast, but he was way out of his depth having yeah. him back there as a defender for not a Hail Mary, which is what right. they clearly expected, right. but a, right. uh, a lateral a, um, lateral based uh, play. Yeah, so Tim, translate that for you. So, uh, Well, I know what a lateral is. But you, do you know what a Hail Mary is? Yeah, that's where you throw it way over the top of everybody, right? Yeah, okay, so to defend against that, what they usually do, is they just put in the biggest, tallest guys yeah. team. Uh, yeah. Just because all you have to do is knock the ball down and it's over. Game's over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Ron Gronkowski is this just enormous, giant uh, tight end, which is a, an offensive player. He plays on the offensive side. Mm-hmm. So he just, you know, he locks a lot of people and catches a lot of balls and just plows through a lot of people. Uh, but he's not particularly fast or agile. <laughs> he's right. he's huge. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in a, in a Hail Mary situation, yeah, it makes sense to have him out there 
because he, he's tall, taller than everyone else. But in this case, when you have to chase down a really fast running back Runner, yeah. and yeah. tackle him, he was just completely yeah. outclassed. And he mm. doesn't play defense, so he doesn't even know how to deal it. So is this guy is this guy that would stand in front of the quarterback and try to like block him from passing, or or he does he goes and chases the guys who are going to catch the ball? No, no, he's on the offensive side. He's the guy who catches the ball. Oh, oh okay, <laughs> but but yeah, not yeah, an yeah. offensive lineman, which might be what you were right, describing there. Right. Okay, so he's not. Okay. Uh, I mean. Tight ends often have blocking uh, responsibilities, but they're right. uh, also got you know pass catching responsibilities as well. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, I pretty much know what the sender is and what the uh, quarterback, quarterback is. is. Well, I know. Yeah, and the kicker, yeah. and the kicker. Yeah, yeah. The only reason I know about center is because a friend of mine was a center on our team football or football team. Ah. Football, you bet. Yeah, this will have to go the other direction for me come twenty twenty one. I'm like Tim, give me the TLDR in hockey. Yeah. Mm. They keep changing the rules in hockey though. That's the thing, right? Like the, the, the hockey they play now is not the hockey I knew when I was a kid. Kid, right, so we used to have a two-line offside offside pass, but now they got rid of that to speed up the game, and now they have four-on-four four overtime, and you know it was crazy back back in back when men were men, and you know they used to match each other all over the place and have fights and stuff. You know, hockey's hockey's quite quite a bit different. You know, skill the skill of the players have gotten you know they've gotten all scientific and you know all into kinesiology and stuff like that and sports science and you know things have changed quite a bit. Mm. Definitely, I don't it, I watch old uh, NFL film stuff, yeah, and these Hall of Fame guys like they they would not even make the um you know like the backups or the third yeah. string guys they're just yeah. so unathletic for the modern era where everybody's got you know perfect training they've got perfect diet regimens and all these other yeah, things that yeah. they're doing they are just monsters by comparison yeah if you go back and watch like a bobby or uh, like a like what do you call it a play reel or whatever where you know what you call highlight reel yeah if you go watch a, a bobby bobby or highlight reel it's like it's like he's like from somebody from 10 or 15 years in the future playing with the old guys because they have they have no frame of reference on how to stop the guy right even the goaltenders don't even know how to how to defend his shots and stuff and and um i mean he's a police police to play with a pretty much straight stick with a single piece of tape on it right and uh just fool everybody and then you know even when gretzky and those guys were around they they kind of changed the game too right and the russians when the russians came over and played against canada that was you know it was it was pretty embarrassing for the canadian teams who thought that they were the team canada thought they were like the be all and end all of hockey right so but then you you know, like uh, like you you were joking on Spotcast about like getting a big giant guy to, to go into the net and you know I was trying to explain to you that it's already hard enough to score right but uh, <laughs> are we opening up this this uh, this kind no, of Tim I no. am 100% correct you get a man who physically no. fills the entire net and I understand this is a very <laughs> difficult a very difficult proposition but if you find yeah. somebody who does it it is physically impossible to score you have to say somebody would have to be like four feet tall and six feet wide I mean have you seen TLC or History Channel which Everyone yeah, has yeah, like my sixteen hundred pound their, life. Their sides are barely getting out of bed. Never those people. You just wheel them out there. You put the put the wheel skates them underneath them. <laughs> slide them out like the zamboni. I'm sure somebody would complain. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to complain when I when I coach that team to ten Stanley Cups in a row. Yeah, but you know, but so, so so one thing to stop people from scoring, you also have to be able to put the puck in the net to win a game. That's that's the sad part about your theory. Yeah, it it, it eventually goes into um, well, no, actually, I I still win no matter what, as long as my dude can take the punishment because I, I, I think there are limits on yeah, the but size how do you of win pads. you win you, zero zero is the, like they don't even they don't even have they don't even have 
if it's a tie, they have shootouts, right? Yeah, and uh, and so so you win the shootout. The other te- the other team continues on. to score nothing because my guy yeah. fills every inch of yeah. the of the net, and then eventually yeah. you score one. And you, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, I could put a high school out there, and eventually he'll score on an NHL class goalie if we go like five hours into <laughs> into yeah. penalty shots. Yeah, your guy be all black and blue though. I don't think he don't think he'd be happy. That that's the one limit. I, I don't think there are. Uh, I think there are limits on the size of the. Well, pads I can tell you having having have I actually seen the velocity with which a, a professional hockey player shoots the puck. I, I'm glad they never hit me with the puck. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like these are ballistic shots, right? You know, yeah, yep, yep. Not like your you know regular house league guys who just you know they're they're painful too. But you know when they hit, yeah. But yeah, it's a whole different game. It'll be interesting to see. So I, I was thinking, like I didn't mention it last week, but uh, the Seattle Slytherin. How about that? The, the, to go with a, a, a hockey name, and yeah, Harry like, Potter branding somebody, on it, like a sort of S for snake, like it looked like a snake or whatever. So I just thought immediately thought of the Seattle Slytherin or whatever. It's not unheard of because the Anaheim Ducks, yeah. came out because I think Disney owned the team or through some time, stadium, yeah, yeah. and they had the Mighty Ducks franchise movie but franchise. Seattle has no connection to Harry Potter, though, right? That's true. I don't, I don't think we do. How about the Seattle Hendri- Hendrix is from Seattle with an apostrophe. Seattle what? Softs with apostrophe softs, short for Microsofts. Mm. The Starbucks. How about <laughs> yeah. the Starbucks? The Seattle Bucks. Bucks. Seattle Bucks, yeah. Yeah. The Zons for Amazons. Yeah. Well, Hen- Hendrix was from Seattle too, right? So, mm-hmm. Ooh, could we do a music one? Music related one. Yeah. Seattle Rock or something. Yeah, I think mm. people did suggest the grunge, largely thinking of Pearl Jam. Oh, true. And, uh, yeah, the grunge, yeah. Uh, Nirvana. Yeah. Well, also, isn't Pearl Jam from out there somewhere? That was the first one I said. Oh, Pearl Jam, okay, yeah. Yeah, Pearl Jam or and Nirvana. Rain, Seattle Rain. The Jeremy's. Yeah, if, if you spelled it as rain the liquid um yeah. right. weather phenomena maybe but there is oh, an existing rain which is rain like sovereign or mm. royalty ruling and it's r-e-i-n yeah. wait there's a team called that no no not 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 that rain because that's a good point tim not rain like you would have on a horse but but um yeah, but like a rain king, like having a, rain king's rain is r-e-i-n as well I thought it was R E I G N. Oh, maybe, maybe. So yeah, the I don't horse rain is R E I N. Spelling and math. The the king rain is R E I G N, okay. and the water yeah. is R A I N. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's our uh, NWSL women's um, soccer team, professional soccer team, is the, the rain, rain. I think uh, we have the storm for WNBA, so it's really we'd have to come up with like a cloud city related one, like mm-hmm. the Landos or something. The Bespins, yeah, yeah, the Bespins. <laughs> the Seattle Bespin. The Seattle Needle, like for the yeah, space we do have the Space Needle. But you have a gray sky, right? So Seattle grays. So go, going in the uh, in the tradition of like the Syracuse orange, who were the the orange men for a very long time, and they made it more gender inclusive by calling it the orange. And they have an orange. Oh, he has like a golf ball or something. I don't know what he, an orange sphere is their is their mascot. You can't do that because of the the other guy, the the guy from Philadelphia. Oh man, the gritty! I really hope we get something crazy like gritty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous of Philadelphia for having this crazy <laughs> mascot that they hated, and then everybody. Everybody made fun of him, and yeah. they circled the wagons and unified as a tribe and said, screw you, world. He's one of ours. Yeah. You don't say nothing about him. We love him now. Yeah. I bumped into Carlton downtown a couple of weeks ago. Carlton the Bear, Toronto Maple Leafs. Is that the mascot? Yeah. yeah. Mm. But Carlton is the name of the road that the Maple Leaf Gardens used to be on. So 60 Carlton was the address, and so his number is 60, and his name is Carlton. I pointed at him, too, and he pointed at me back. For Greg. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are we done? I think we're done, gentlemen. So. Right. And we're short one this week.